Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Life List. This is George Armistead, and I am here with my co-host. Our producer, Molly Brown, is at the Southeast Arizona Birding Festival right now in Tucson, where a bunch of our friends are as well. But I would like to say right now, hello, Alvaro. Hey, hello, George. It seems like you don't have to go to Tucson to actually be frying in terms of weather uh, climate from what I'm hearing. It's (laughs) kind of hot out your way, huh? That is accurate. It is plenty warm right here in Philadelphia. Always sunny, as we've discussed before. Yeah, it's like we're pushing triple digits at the moment, and the humidity is pretty overwhelming as well. I like you know, th- this is not my favorite time of year around here. July and August, really not my favorite time. Not to say there's not some birds around, but you know, no I, on, so. yeah, yeah, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for September cold fronts. Really, really am at this point. Okay, well, you're ready. You're ready to to hop on that southbound migration train, and uh, and then you. You know, we'll we'll catch up in a few months when you're going to be complaining about the November weather or something, you know, (laughs) and you'll say, November is one of the months I dislike most in Philadelphia because it's just so cold and miserable and wet and gray or something. So then I'll, then I'll just be saying, George, I think you just like to complain. That is, that is, (laughs) first of all, you, you would be inaccurate when November and December are probably my favorite months of the year for birding around here. Yeah. So basically from like, and really from October through May is my, is my favorite time. You know, obviously there's always something to see, but that's, uh, that's that part of the year is, is, is my favorite, especially late fall. You know, you got big volumes of birds moving and rarities showing up and, you know, I, I like gray skies. I like kind of like monochromatic, you know, scenes where, you know, every now and then you get a splash of color and it's super dramatic. Uh, that's that's my kind of birding. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. I mean, most I, I got to say that I think on average people complain most about North America wide. I think not everywhere because obviously you know it differs. Complain about November and March. Those yeah. are the two most complained about as a birder, um, and weather. You know the weather and the whole thing, and they're the changeover periods, right? You sort of. You're losing one station, you're getting into another, and, and people are, I don't know, they feel the loss of the migration ending or the heat is gone. Um, but you're on the other side. You're more like numbers, bring it on. Yes. Whew. Yeah. I like it cold usually. I, like, I mean, I like it kind of cold and crisp, and I, and I, and I like high-volume birds, and usually uh, often the cold is good with that. And, uh, but I, I agree that March is a fickle month. It is a fickle month. It's like, you know, and, and you've probably seen that meme that goes around the birding community. It seems like every spring and like in March and April, they talk about, you know, there's everyone waits for May, right? May is the big month. That's when it all explodes here. You know, that's when the biggest week is and the world series of birding and all these big events. Cause all the warblers are here and it's warbler mania. And like everyone's waiting for May, the sounds, the color and everything. And so you get like, often it seems like in early March, there'll be a beautiful spring day and you think, my gosh, spring is here. And then, you know, a couple of days go by and you get hit by like, you know, a foot and a half of snow. 
And then you're like, good Lord. And then, you know, a couple of weeks go by, yeah. another, another big whack of sun. And you're like, okay, this is it. Spring's really coming now. And then, you know, that second spring as they call, and then there's a third winter and it, it just seems to like go on and on and on mm-hmm. until finally you do get to May. But, uh, but yeah, it's still a fun month. It's a good go month around here, Alvaro. And I know March. Yeah. March is a good go month. Yeah. yeah. Talking about hating November, the, when growing up and, and going to Niagara Falls, that was like sort of the best place for goals, you know? Yeah. But November in Niagara Falls is, it's so unpleasant. Like it is, <laughs> you know, you know how people say, oh, it's a, it's a wet cold, you know, you really get your bones. That's exactly what it is. It's not yes. yet cold enough to be frozen cold. Sometimes it is, but it's just all humid because the falls are like creating all this crazy humidity and bone chilling. Yeah. Oh, bone chilling. And then, and then, you know, uh, and you have to be out all day basically. Yeah. You know, yep. Well, warm up at the Tim Hortons, get some yes, coffee and donuts, eh? Exactly. You know, you're 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 preaching to the choir here because I just got back from Niagara Falls. My, I got family up there, um, so I went up the to, U.S. side, right? Yes, the U.S. side. Yeah, yeah. you couldn't go yet to the Canadian. It no, was no. I'm really, I'm actually really eager to do some more Canadian travel. There's a whole bunch of stuff I want to do in Canada, but this was just on the U.S. side mm-hmm. in in New York there and. Uh, and yeah, the only other time I'd been to Niagara was November for the NISOA conference a few years ago. New York State Ornithological Association was there. And, you know, it was great for gulls, you know, just seeing masses of Bonaparte's gulls and and uh, some, you know, seeing little gulls here and there, which are so, so, so dapper and good looking little gulls, little. if you will. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're, they're little, you know, it's a, gr- it's yeah. a good name. And uh, yeah, this time it was a bit different. There's, there was not so many birds. It was pretty warm. It was beautiful. The falls were beautiful. A lot of people out and about. It was cool to see. Kids um, in shorts with like ice cream, kind of like a Gary Larson cartoon kind of thing. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the cool things though, on the way up, me and my folks, um, we, my dad was like, I want to go to Montezuma Refuge. So we actually stopped there in Seneca Falls. Spent the night there and, and then went to the Montezuma National Wildlife. And did you say, where? I want to see that quail of yours. <laughs> yeah. and then like, like, where's what? the quail? And I don't see any Mayan ruins here. What's what's going on? You know? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, what you know, what we did see though was we, I finally got a taste of this uh, roseate spoonbill explosion that's going on oh, right yeah. now. I've been hearing about that. I, yeah. It's know, crazy. They're everywhere. I'm so, far out removed from that that I'm I kind of just like I don't even know if it's a new one or the same one that they're talking about or it's like there's so many it's a huge number of spoonbills no like this I think New York had like five or something West Virginia had like about the same number I saw Massachusetts just got their first one Pennsylvania's got a handful you know it's 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 crazy what's happening it's them swallow-tailed kites you know black-bellied whistling ducks it just seems like all all this you know all this stuff from from uh, further south just seems to be exploding north. Uh, hmm. It's pretty exciting, but obviously, it's you know, it's kind of kind of wonder about the origins of it all. And, and I think it, we know it's certainly a chunk of it is is climate, but uh, but still very cool to see. And uh, yeah, Montezuma Refuge is a neat spot. I'm I'm sure a bunch of folks have been there, and you know, there, I was like excited to just see sandhill cranes walking around there, and you know. Those are those are known to be there. Usually, when I see them in the east, it's it's cause for excitement. I was like, "Oh my God, right. Sandhill cranes!" 
you know, and it's like, yeah, yeah we know they're there. You know what? What I, I always sort of strikes me in these kinds of things happen is that we we are we're always talking about birds and you know the movements and the winds and the this and that and the storms and all this stuff. So then this huge like huge thing happens, right? You every all the eastern birders seeing spoonbills everywhere. We have no idea exactly why. Like one of the most visible movements of a vagrant, you know, and there'll be all these theories, but. Nobody will say, well, nobody will really know. And then that's what strikes me as fascinating on one hand, like we still have so much to learn and scary on the other hand, because like, we don't know anything <laughs> about how this, the whole world works, you know, like, yeah, you'd think that something so major, we would be able to pinpoint it like, well, you know, one of the most major events in, in you know, in whatever waiter history has happened and it's because of this. I know there'll be like 10 theories, drought down here, heat down there, and we have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it is. It is funny. And I mean, and with roseate spoonbills, I mean, these are not like, they're not like Henslow's sparrows that are trickling through, you know, that people aren't, you know, <laughs> roseate spoonbills, a pretty big and pink noticeable bird. So. Did, did you check for cage wear on these uh, <laughs> spoonbills anyway? Like, you know, I mean, I'm sure people, maybe somebody bought them for a big circus. Could be. Or, could um, be. Could know, be. Yeah, they, they bought a whole bunch of flamingos for mm -hmm. the zoo. Yeah. They realized they got spoonbills, you know, that not the right thing. They just let them go. Me, th uh, me, my think, <laughs> me thinks thou dost protest too much. And I wonder, I wonder if this is all you. If, you know, you're you're saying people don't know why. Maybe somebody did this. Maybe it was you, Alvaro. Came in, got rounded up a bunch of spoonbills from Mexico or something, and and released them into the southeast. That's my I, that's my operating theory. Could be. I'm not going to deny it. I, <laughs> it's the kind of thing I might do mm -hmm. if I. But I don't know a guy who sells spoonbills, so it can't be me. <laughs> you don't have a spoonbill guy. Mm. No, no. I mean, there's other stuff I could, you know, I might be able to buy, let's say, you know, easy stuff to buy out there, brambling, you know, mm -hmm. you can get those, you know, I release them all over the place. Um, yeah. We can get, we got Caternix quail, Caternix quail and, you know, like common quail. I don't know if actually common quail, but you know, the European quail. The quail. Right? The quail. Yeah. The, we've got the, those, those are, those are like in Rittenhouse Square downtown. They're like turning up and chuckers are now everywhere. Like there's like, they, they keep turning up, you know, they escape from the markets here. So if you want a chucker or you want a, uh, a Caternix, um, I, I got, I got people for that. Yeah. No, I, I, I guess the chuckers and out here in the West, the, uh, Bob Whites, they, they use them for training hunting dogs. So you can buy these things like, you know, like Northern Bobwhite. Yeah. You, wow. you can buy them at, you know, from farms where they, you know, you just throw them out and I don't know how they use the dogs to train them. It's, you know, if you, you're supposed to shoot the thing while it's, I don't know. I Maybe mean, just smell them or something. I don't want to know, yeah. but, um, but they show up all over the place here in random spots. You, you know, I've, I've seen Bob White here in town in Half Moon Bay on a garbage can singing, like right on top of the gar garbage can going, Bob White, you know? <laughs> and, and I thought, that sounds like a Bob White. And sure <laughs> enough, I, you know, find it and it's just sitting on some person's garbage can 
in the middle of town. And yeah, the, the, you know, people in the hunting scene tell me that that's why they're, they're found all over the place. So interesting. I didn't know that about Bob White. I kind of had, I, I kind of knew that about Chucker, but, uh, yeah, Bob White now about the only way you see him around here probably is, is situations like that where they've escaped, um, somehow. Um, cause it's funny, you know, I grew up birding Eastern shore of Maryland and right around our farm. I, you know, I remember being frightened by exploding coveys of Bob White. You know, like if, if I'm sure some folks will have experienced this still, but around here, you tell birders that have been birding here for 10, even 20 years in this area, a lot of them just have never experienced it. But, it, you know, but maybe all those exploding Bob Whites are, you know, you shouldn't have been exploding them. That's, that's why they're so uncommon now. Yeah. Planting TNT near Bob White, it's just not right. Yeah. Or, or are you talking about something else? I think I'm talking about a little something different. Yeah. Oh. The, the, uh, yeah, the, the coveys, when they explode yeah. into flight, the, the cubby oh, is the flock, right? And Learning I, new things. Yeah. And man, when they, when they get up, it's just like a, you know, it's like, and it really, you feel it in your chest. It's like if you, if it's even three, four, or five of them when they get up at once and they, and you're not expecting it, man, it scares the bejesus out of you. I, I remember actually growing up with rough grouse and it was the same thing. You'd be walking around and it's usually when you were most mellow, mm-hmm. you know, you're just sort of walking through the forest, you know, on a trail or something. And this thing would explode, like you say, you know, with the whirring wings and shooting out. And, you know, you really felt like, you know, I could have died there just from cardiac arrest. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Like if I was an older man, I could, I'd be dead right now. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how many people get are randomly found in the woods dead, <laughs> and they say, well, died of natural causes. No, yeah. it was a rough grouse. Rough grouse did it again. Did it. Yeah. 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 Sure. There's a mystery novel to be written with that as the, uh, as the finale somehow. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. That'd be a good one, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the coveys, the coveys of Bob yeah. White. I, I don't understand. I mean, the whole thing about um, grassland birds are declining and, and so forth. And But Bob White seemed to be like, they're an edge bird in the places I've seen them commonly. It's sort of a habitat that doesn't seem that rare to me. Like it's, I bet Bob White are being hit by disease, some some uh, virus or something that probably brought over by chickens, chicken farms or something. So we're we're focusing on on habitat, and I I bet there's a, a disease component that's hitting them. You know that's the case with the rough grouse uh, around here. Is there they've it's West Nile virus is what's hitting them, and you know it's the state bird of Pennsylvania here. I've only had it a few times. I mostly stick to the southeast of the state, but across the state and really across the east, rough grouse numbers have just plummeted, and hmm. uh, apparently much of that due to West Nile virus. Hmm. Wow. I did not know that. Hmm. But I, I think disease is obviously one of those things that can be affecting bird populations that we never account for. It's obvious in Hawaii, like we talked a lot, you know. Uh, in past uh, episodes and sometimes you know you can sort it out like with west nile but you wonder about how many other little viruses and things are going on and stuff we never even know about flies right under the radar 
Yeah, and then we're thinking, well, why is the loggerhead shrike, you know, suddenly yeah. so rare and all over the range and habitat? Hab-? And you're like, some of those habitats aren't that changing that much. Why is the thing becoming so rare? It might be disease, you know. But there, there you go, kids. If you're trying to get a PhD <laughs> on something, bird diseases, bird diseases and their effect on conservation. Yeah, be interesting stuff. Well, as you say, there is a lot we do not know. A lot we don't know, but. Al, I know you've been sending me some pretty cool stuff about what you've been learning while following AOS lately. Maybe, uh, maybe you want to fill folks in on on that event, what's going on, and and some of the stuff you've been learning about. Yeah, AOS, American Ornithological Society, and then the Society of Canadian Ornithologists, the SCO, which also in French is the SOC but we won't get into that. Um, they're, they're, um, they have these annual uh, meetings, right? This is where people give their papers and all this stuff and, you know, awards and, you know, um, wine and cheese things, but they're all now on, on, you know, virtual. Yeah. So regular folk like me can just sign up and listen in, ask questions and all that kind of stuff. So I've been, taken in you know this meeting that i if it if it was something i'd have to fly to i would not have been able had the time to do it so you know while i'm doing other birdie stuff i'm listening to stuff and it's it's pretty amazing like there there are people doing work on all sorts of stuff you know listening about seabirds to you know horned larks to you know mathematical methods i i just looked at the titles for those cuz i'm like yeah i'm not going to understand any of that you know but i always gravitate to the evolution taxonomy gene stuff i love behavior and that but usually there's only so much you know i, I can do in a day so i've been looking at those and um i've got to say that the the word of the year is genomics 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 there's a good one for you and you're thinking oh that's got genes in it must be all this genetic work we're hearing about and it is but you know how like you you know if you've been you have a computer the one you had 10 years ago can't do half of the stuff that the computer does today because the technology has been going right astronomical yeah yeah it's a it's the same thing like some of you may remember when they got the full genotype of uh of a human you know for, started with a chicken or some some other thing or a fruit fly it was a big deal well now you can just code the entire genome of let's say an anna's hummingbird you know in your little lab there quickly What's it take? it's easy and cheap you like know a couple of weeks or something it's like no I, less I, than I, that no i'm mike my guess is it's probably within a day or so. Wow. Some of these people are, some of these people are sampling like a hundred birds here and a hundred birds there. Goodness, and just the entire genome. So if you if you were thinking like you know, uh, why don't they split the, I don't know, Audubon's and Myrtle Warbler, and you know they've been working with these little snippets of genes sometimes in the mitochondria and all this kind of little little bits and pieces. Now they're doing the whole thing. The whole thing, the like everything that's coded in that bird is in that in that info, and they can actually sometimes isolate 
they'll compare two birds and say, okay, this bird and that bird, where do they differ? And you'll see, oh, they're differing in their yellow throat or their longer wings or something. And sometimes the genes are known exactly what they do. Like there's melanin genes and, and, uh, you can get to the point of actually seeing differences in specific genes now. Like it is crazy, crazy. Like what I'm trying to get at is I think for a lot of birders are like, Oh yeah, they've been doing genetic work all the time. It still hasn't figured anything out. It's, you know, more confusing than ever. They're splitting their lump in. They're changing the names. We, it, we're gotten to a different level. This They're is figuring it out now. Yeah. Different level. You were yeah. talking about the SNPs before when we were chatting about this earlier, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, single nucleotide polymorphisms. <laughs> you, you say. Remember to you, explain what that is. You, 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 I don't you, know. You say it's me that likes no the big words. Look at you go. Yeah, I had to write it down, but because <laughs> nobody actually can handle those big words, they've shortened it to SNPs. And these are little changes in the genes, and you can plot them out. So you, you, they have these plots where on the on the bottom, the x-axis, is all the different genes along each chromosome. And then the differences are up and down on the y-axis, and they kind of look like a sky, you know, skyscrapers, little buildings, short ones, tall ones, whatever, depending on what's going on. So they call these things Manhattan plots. So I've been seeing all these. I Look, a few days ago, I had no idea what a Manhattan plot was. I'd heard the SNPs. I knew about genomics, but now I'm like well-versed in Manhattan plots, you know? (laughs) Um, And I mean, I I think, you know, one of the things I've enjoyed is seeing these new techniques and the dumb name. Well, they're not dumb. They're actually fun. Manhattan plot's a fun name rather than calling it, it. you know, whatever. And and you get the the visual, right? The little buildings kind of thing. But they also, they they do another analysis called Abba Baba, (laughs) right? I, I, I mean, like Fred Flintstone I, gene, right? Either that or they're ABBA fans. I yeah. don't know. You know, like, as I, don't I know. recall, you've been to an ABBA concert. We'll have to talk That's about right. that at another point. But yeah. ABBA Baba, so <laughs> ABBA Baba, and the other thing that they're doing now is an analysis called bedazzle. <laughs> so, so you can take your bedazzled ABBA Baba and put your snips on the old Manhattan plot and figure out. <laughs> The birds, but in any case, one of the, like all of these things doing this genomics, and some of them, I've found that there are bits of the chromosome, like chunks of genes, that get flipped, and they call these G- inversions. They they get flipped, and then they act as a unit when they're passed on to you know the next generation. So one guy, uh, Eric Funk, I, yeah, was his name. He wrote about, well, he, he talked about red poles. And, you know, birders, red poles are like, boy, I mean. Source of confusion, frustration. Oh, yeah. But Everything, still, right? everyone loves them, though, right? Everyone loves right. red poles at the People same time. People can't wait. You know, are they going to come down this year? I don't know. Wait till February. That's the best time. Yeah. And then, you know, then it's like, then you see them. And then it's like the common and the hoary. And maybe you get the the big Greenland ones and the this and that. And there's all this ID stuff. And no, it wasn't. And this, yes, it was. And, you know, some of them are obvious. Some of them are. And then other people are like, you know, this is all one species. They're just variable. Others say, no way, man. Like, if you've ever seen a real hoary red pole, you will know. You will feel, you will smell that species. <laughs> You'll feel it in your difference. soul. Feel it in your soul. So, 
this uh, this researcher finds that these inverted bits of the chromosome are actually coding for hoariness, right? The I the whiteness. Yeah, you should maybe specify the whiteness. Yes. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. I'm not talking about any kind yeah. of H O A R I N E S S. Yes. Yeah. I not casting so, aspersions. Yes. Or or innuendo of any kind. Certainly not. No. Ever. Mm-mm. Not that. here. But um, what is cool is he suggested that the hoary and common red poles were interbreeding and they were sharing genes and they were kind of one genetic kind of population. But to the north, the inversion of that population created this more white, small-billed, less pink bird in the south. It was a browner, streakier more pink bird with bigger bills. So he suggested that the environment, the latitude was maintaining this polymorphism, but that they were sharing genes. <laughs> now, what that means is, is that everybody is right. <laughs> they <laughs> it's could not possible, Alvaro. This is not right. allowed. Not allowed. That they are acting as a different species on one level because they're maintaining these two different genotypes. But they share different. But they they're sharing genes, mm. and others could say, "Well, lump them." And this is why it's never been figured out. And some of the older genetic stuff was showing essentially no genetic difference between any red pole whatsoever. And he said, essentially, yes, there's almost no difference because they're sharing genes. But in this one important th- like thing, this flipped over, inverted bit that you could only figure out through this genomics thing, they are different. So then it's like, we're almost going to have to rewrite how you do a biological species. If you have kind of an ecotype, oh boy. let's call it that ecotype within a species. Okay. And then you start thinking, hmm, could there be an inversion in red crossbills? I bet there is. Mm-hmm. I bet there's a bill. Evening um, gross beaks. Yeah, even in gross beaks, and some of these finches have have this stuff going on. And other birds, like he was talking about horn, and another guy was talking about horn larks. Or what about yeah, savannah sparrows? Is that maybe yeah. could could be? Yeah. yeah, but I mean, out of what was being talked about in this, you know, it, 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 there's some pretty cool stuff being figured out by this genomics and the Manhattan plots and the invert and this whole inverted gene thing. Um, super genes, they're calling them, right? So. And uh, and sometimes the supergene is is linked to the sex chromosome. So females can look can actually on the genetic plot be different, like in horn larks, look totally different from the males, even though they're sharing genes because they have. And I'm, I was just blown away. Like I couldn't understand half of this stuff. Some of it it kind of trickled in. And <laughs> Sounds like you hear a lot it, better than I would have done. So it's, it's it's fascinating, oh, but man, bewildering. Oh yeah, and and. And chromosomes are being chopped up and then being stuck onto the wrong chromosome. And then they, there's like little bits that can be added and subtracted and moved around. And then you realize, oh, some of this stuff that we're seeing is, is all chromosomal chunks and bits that act as units. So then it starts clarifying a lot of things in the bird world for me. Like it sort of opened up my mind to correlated you know, you can think of ducks, for example. Why is it that some ducks, you know, like have the green stripe on their head, kind of the teal pattern and the hybrids, the teal pattern comes out and you're thinking like, 
uh-huh, like maybe it's a super kind of gene going on that can be turned off or on, or it's got, I, I was just blown away by, by what, what these um, younger biologists are doing and some of the techniques that they have available. It's, it's like having supercomputer genetic stuff at their fingertips that is just going to revolutionize everything. And, you know, all you naysayers, that the genetic stuff hasn't cleared up anything. It actually has. We just are, have been learning how to, you know, we haven't had all of it yet until right. now. Like now the entire book is, is being opened and in, in, yeah. in written. Yeah. yeah. And it gets, I mean, we've chatted about this over the years. Every year we're alive as birders. We always say this is the most interesting time ever to be alive as a birder. Yeah. And it is again this year. Yeah. It's like new info, new stuff, new technology, you know. The increasingly um, golden era of birding yeah. and ornithology really is amazing. Yeah. How much we're learning, how fast. If we can figure it all out before the entire world just goes up in flames, um, <laughs> you know, from global that would be climate so great. change, yeah. that would be great. That last minute we'd be like, now we know it all. And then we just self-destroy <laughs> it. We're going we're gonna to see the light. Yeah, that'll be great. Yeah. Just before there's nothing but light. Um, <laughs> oh, very exciting stuff. Yeah. But, oh, there's more to talk about. We'll leave some of it for other other times because, oh, there were there were things about blackbirds and – White-breasted nuthatch white, sounded cool. White-breasted um, nuthatch. Yeah. Yellow-nosed albatrosses. Oh, boy. Hmm. Holy moly. Wow. Eye color and bowtail grackles. I know you'd be excited about that one. Yeah, that's right up my alley. Certainly right up your alley. That's for sure. Those yeah. icterids. I know I know how you are about those icterids. Everybody does. I uh, love those those birdies. Nashville warblers, eastern and western ones. <laughs> oh, am I wetting your appetite for more? <laughs> <laughs> Not really, right? You're like, let's move on. No, no, I am curious. I mean, you know, it seems like the birding of the stuff we've discussed here is in, you know, as far as the red poles go, you know what everyone's wondering, right? Is do they get to keep hoary red pole? And what you're saying is who yeah. knows, because the <laughs> species concept basically is going to be redrawn. I, I think there's going to have to be some kind of reworking when you have stable, genetic populations that that create a a different look and feel to a bird but yet they're sharing genes so if you're really kind of orthodox species you know biological species concept you'd say well they're all the same thing they're sharing genes but another person could say well no hold on the environment somehow is creating a rift there in 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 the in the look and you know, even who knows, maybe vocalizations of the bird and the, you know, I think that's important. So others might say, we're going to count those as two species, you know, um, even though they share genes. Then it, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's only going to get more interesting. That is one certainty, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I wish uh, I wish I'd gotten to tune into some of that. Um, I certainly we were talking earlier about how different it is to these 
used to be AOU, now AOS um, has united uh, several several groups, right? And uh, and I remember still very well the the one AOU convention I got to go to here in Philly. I went to the I went to the IOC IOU uh, in uh, Vancouver a couple of years too, which was really cool. But uh, yeah, it's seeing seeing all the newest research being discussed as it's kind of, you know, really on the cusp of being published or just published is, and seeing all these bright minds, people really together discussing what they're studying and what they're finding out. That convention was one of the most thrilling things I've ever been to. I mean, also, if you read, you you read these names of people that are doing this work and you think, boy, you know, they they must they know so much and 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 then you meet these the, these folks and it's and you realize how much they're learning it's just it's inspiring to be around it's inspiring to learn about um yeah you know. it, and you know what's interesting for me is like when i watch these things now versus when i was younger i used to go i mean live and and then go see these talks by these well-known people, you know, and, and kind of go, Oh my God, you know, they're so-and-so almost like a, you know, yeah. Like a celebrity big fan, big fan. Yeah. 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 I, I was, I was totally a fanboy at the the ones I went to. I was a complete <laughs> yeah. fanboy. I was just like, Oh, yeah. totally geeking out here. Yeah. <laughs> Could you sign my book? Um, and then today, maybe because the, the, the actual, the people who are, presenting tend to be younger because of the virtual level of this rather than live. Um, I'm way more excited about this work done by people I've never heard of before, mm -hmm. which I, and no offense to any of the people who are, you know, I'm just, what I'm saying is I'm, I'm not tuned enough to know who they are. Maybe. Sure. Yeah. But they're younger, younger uh, ornithologists or ecologists and, and, and doing stuff that's blowing me away more so than sort of the, you know, the, the, the older big wigs. Yeah. Um, and I think there's just more, there's great. more work going on now as well. Right. It just seems like yeah. there's a lot more work going on. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's exciting. And then, you know, there's all the ecology and conservation stuff and whatever we, we, we just talked about these genomics, but man, there's everything's going on. Yeah. One thing we, uh, we're talking about too, um, earlier, which I thought was really cool. You know, last episode, we talked about Olympics and, and Olympians a bit and some extreme cases. And, and I really feel like we could dig deeper there. We, we kind of went, you know, with some of the, some stuff we thought was pretty cool and, and stuff we was interesting to learn about or that was well known. Um, and I would, I would actually love to return to that subject at some point. And if folks have Olympians, they want to share with us, please do. We'd really We'd love to, to share that with everybody else. But one thing that was shared on one of the Facebook pages that I know that you and I both like to monitor, the North American Gulls, uh, Amar Ayash put, has, kind of runs that and has done a great job with it. And there's all sorts of interesting discussion there for the real, the, the gull freaks like you and I. But one thing I think anybody I'm, could appreciate, whether- a, I'm not sure I like it, but I'm drawn <laughs> to it like drugs. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like a car crash. You just can't turn away. Yeah. yeah, I'm it, right in there, you know, giving my opinions when I should be working. But hey, yeah, late at night after a beer or two, it's very, you know, it's it's a slippery yeah. slope. One has to be careful. 
but uh, junkie. Yeah, exactly. Don't uh, don't ID and uh, and drink at the same time. It's uh, it is a slippery slope. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, one of the one of the cool things was there we saw this week was there was a new longevity record, which is you know the longest living uh, individual of a of a species, and it was for California gull. Uh, a a gull that was banded in Greeley, Colorado in 77 was just found dead recently. And wasn't and, there a Beach Boys song about California gulls? No, <laughs> there was. Maybe not. Yeah. I've got one wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I wish they all <laughs> could be California gulls. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, this one was 44 years old, man. 44 years old, which not only is a record for California gull, but is a record for all gulls. By 10 years, apparently. 10 years. Wow. So I guess it's the living's good in California, except it was in Colorado. Oh. Yes. Colorado's the place to be then. And where's the state bird? What is the state bird? Where, where, which state has the California gull as its state bird? It would be where the Mormon crickets live. That's correct. Classified as locusts, Mm -hmm. misclassification, which Utah? Yeah, the California gull is the state bird of Utah. Always been, always seemed a little strange, but it is a it is a cool story, nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, that saved the settlers, the original Mormon settlers, from locusts eating which all apparently their crops. These things called Mormon crickets, so they weren't locusts at all. But that's what I heard. Yeah, maybe that locust that's, story is maybe it's apocryphal. I don't know, but uh, but yeah, certainly. Certainly is a good story, regardless. I think I think it's a true story. Certainly, yeah. Uh, Interior cer- gulls eat a lot of insects. You know, yeah, um, the laughing like gulls Franklin's do too. Gulls yeah. laughing. Yeah, yeah. ringbills. A lot of insects. They're fast. Good, good, good at hawking insects. You know that there's a place in in the Niagara area where they grow cherries, and the ringbill gulls eat the cherries they perch on the trees and and eat the cherries <laughs> they're like the major <laughs> problem the farmers have is ringbill gulls no well, it's sort of like it's it's like the mew gulls up in alaska right don't they love like gooseberry and and they i think they eat quite a bit of fruit those mew gulls god no wonder they're doing gulls do well you know yeah it's, it's not just french fries that's right they're smart man they know how to steal chips all sorts of stuff yeah, there's. If you want like scary bird videos, go to Gull Ate My Lunch, you know, on <laughs> on YouTube. Did I tell you about the aggressive gulls? You know, they've they've got on the Jersey Shore now on the boardwalk. They've got raptors out there to keep the laughing gulls at bay. So, so really? yeah, I, I can't remember if I told you this or not. I didn't tell you this, right? I, I was, I was I, like, I am not a beach person, really. Like, I like going to the beach in the dead of winter you know, when there's nobody there and there's birds all over the place. And so, but I went down there with, with uh, Kristen and, and our family and stuff. We went down, we're walking the boardwalk, we're doing the boardwalk thing. People are getting funnel cake, you know, and, you know, and Manko's pizza and all that. And, and I'm like, I, as in the head, I don't I even see know what those things are. By yeah. the way, so. <laughs> Jersey folks will know, but yeah. So I, all of a sudden I noticed there's the like fish crows that are just like diving on something. I'm like, I wonder what that's, what they're about. You know, here we are on the boardwalk. I wonder if they're getting after somebody's feeding them or something like what's going on. And I go up and I'm like, oh, wow, there's a, there's a raptor sitting on that pole and I'm getting closer. And I'm like, what the heck is this raptor? 
and I can't tell. And, I, and I'm getting closer. You know, this is Ocean City, New Jersey, and 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 I'm like, man, it looks like a Harris hawk, but obviously, you know, it can't be a Harris hawk. Like this, you know, this, this isn't you know it's, it's Texas or something. And uh, and I'm getting closer, and I'm like, looks like a Harris hawk, but can't be a Harris hawk. <laughs> And I just keep doing that, you know, that, yeah. as I'm getting closer and closer, that loop is playing in my head. And finally, I'm like, that, it's a goddamn Harris Hawk. That, that's when you put, you get a little really bad picture of it and put it on, what's this bird on yeah. Uh, Facebook? Yeah. yeah. Well, finally, I got close enough to see it had Jesses, you know, it had like, you know, it had Jesses. It was, it was, it was a falconer's bird and they, they use it to keep the the laughing gulls at bay. They also had a big beastly peregrine. I, I wonder if it was like a hybrid with like a saker falcon or something. The thing looked oh, wow. enormous. That'd be really cool if that specific peregrine, you know how they named them and stuff, would be Snooky. You know, <laughs> since you're you're out there in that part of the world, Snooky so. the saker hybrid. Yeah, falcon. Yeah, I remembered. You know, a couple of years ago at the Cape May Fest, that jeer falcon got loose. They had the captive, they have a captive white jeer falcon. Thing got loose, was ripping all around down the shore. People were, I think they saw it at the Hawk Watch. It's like, yeah. Now that that guy who, I mean, does the hawk things. Yeah. Right? Every time I've seen him, he's lost a breath. <laughs> I remember the Oplomato <laughs> got loose in Texas one time. It's like. I think yeah. one of our friends had to like, you know, go throw a coat over it to try to get it from, you know, going into the windows or something. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Just yeah. Saying. Little, little dicey there. Yeah. A little questionable maybe. Yeah. I know, but not all falconers are um, really good at what they do. I guess. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, there's, there's good ones and there's, you know, not so good ones. Yeah. That's a good ones. Yeah. Well, you know, this this California gull, the 44-year-old, got me looking at other longevity records um, just out of curiosity. We, and we've talked about this a bit before, you and I. And if folks are interested, it's there's some fascinating material you can find on the USGS site, uh, Longevity Records of North American Birds. Looks like it was updated most recently, January of 2021. Um, and... Uh, and this is down there at the Patuxent uh, Wildlife Research Center where the bird banding lab is. And man, you know, I think everybody knows about wisdom, right? Is the oldest mm-hmm. known bird ever and is still living and producing eggs and young in, uh, in Midway years Atoll. Old, I think this year, 70. Yeah. yeah, 70 years old on Midway Atoll, Laysan Albatross. So that's pretty crazy. What I didn't know is that there's actually seems to be another Laysan albatross that's only a year younger than Wisdom out there as well. Still, still, I think, kicking. You, you know, the the story about Wisdom, the, the part that I find coolest is not that it's so old, um, but Chandler Robbins, right? Yeah. Who's the, the person who wrote the, um, I think most birders know him as the person who wrote the Golden Guide. Yeah. But, but he, he's he, yeah, amazing revolutionary guy. guy. Yeah, he really right? is. Like, you, you might have, you know, you probably know that he started the breeding bird survey. Yep. Yeah. And he was uh, in the Fish and Wildlife Service, one of the first real bander kind of, you know, uh, people who got banding uh, really going, you know, and, and sort of made it not only into science, but, you know, he's a, he was out there banding stuff on these islands and these seabirds. So he was out there 
like I don't know, twenty years ago or something, and they were. This midway. Through, You're talking about a midway, midway. atoll. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they were. You, you can just walk up to the the, the albatross and just right. grab them. If right. They have a. They're on those like little chimney smokestack nests, right? They're just yeah. kind of like sitting right there on the beach. Yeah. And they they banned them, and then what they were doing is actually any that had like a band that was super old, they were replacing the bands with new ones and putting color bands on them as well. So he sees this one with a super old band. Right. It was like caked he, in guano, right? It was like, yeah. like they, could, they couldn't even like, read it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, so they, they pull off this band and they reband it and they, they find, you know, get the number. And it turns out that it was banded like 70 or 69, whatever years ago it was. And it was by Chandler Robbins. Yeah. So he found it. He first banded it and he rebanded it. And like, what's the chance of that? Right. Yeah. And it the Crazy. chance was high because he had such an input on all these projects, you know, that can you imagine? Uh, imagine amazing guy. Yeah, amazing guy. And yeah, legend. And yeah, he he, he I, I I got to spend a month in the Yucatan birding with Chan and got to know him a little bit. And he is you know, he passed away, I think in twenty seventeen it was. Incredible man. And uh and yeah, I feel like we all owe, owe him a lot. Those of us that are, are bird aficionados, but I always think about that same story, Alan, what it must've been like, you know, and I never did get to talk to him about it, about, you know, what it must've been like to, to remove that band. And I'm sure he thought, geez, you know, I probably banded this bird, but we bet, you know, we're going to have to check and see what the deal is. And I think they had to like dissolve the, the band and, you know, some kind of mixture to, to get all the debris off to be able to read it. And then all of a sudden realizing that you'd banded it like over 50 years ago. I mean, mm -hmm. that's got to be just an incredible feeling, you know, to know yeah. that. Yeah. No, I'm, and, and the other thing is if you think about late, okay, so albatrosses, Lazan albatross is one of the smaller albatrosses. Yeah. Right? One of the, in the Goonie Bird group, right? The Goonie in, Birds. In the Goonie Bird group, yeah. all North Pacific species. So in general, bigger birds live longer than smaller birds as a general rule. And it's it's going to be clear that uh, a wandering albatross or a short-tailed albatross eventually will have the record. It yes. won't be a lazy man, right? Right. But th they're living so long that there haven't been enough projects going that long for us to know yet. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like there's there's birds that were, you know, Lazan, I mean, short-tailed albatrosses that were banded 70 years ago, zilch, right? None exist because oh. of their conservation situation. Uh, wandering, probably not that many. So until we sort of cycle through uh, another 10, 20, 30 years, we'll have these records being broken by bigger seabirds. <laughs> Yeah, my guess is wandering albatross or royal is going to be one. Yeah, it's got to be one of those great albatrosses, the wandering the royals. Those, those the, I bet you some of those things live over a hundred years. You know, like just just to illustrate your point, Al, a uh, bird that you see a lot of. Do you know what the longevity record is for ashy storm petrel? Ooh, uh, seabirds live a long time, even if they're relatively small. I would say thirty. Five years. 30 years. 30 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty darn bad. close. I, I'm impressed. I, like, I, I would have guessed like 16 or something. I don't know. But there's, yeah, there's lists, there's leeches that have been 26 years old. But yeah, as you say, ashy storm petrels, you know, it's not a real big bird, but they, 
they can live a long time. They can live a long time. Yeah. Seabirds have a really, really low mortality rate once they're adults. Like it's almost flat. And you know, one of the things about birds that is incredible to me, and and especially true with seabirds, is they don't senesce. Like, you know how mammals get older and they start looking, you know, we get gray hair, we start like hunching over. Birds don't have that. And seabirds in particular, just, you know, 70-year-old lays an albatross looks as healthy and fit as one in its right, 20s. that's six or 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And mammals don't behave that way. Mammals, like, especially like possums, like possums start falling apart at year two. I don't know if you've ever seen possums walking around where it's like, it looks like they're, they're about to decompose. <laughs> you know, like they're, they're one of the, they're one of the fastest aging creatures on earth are wow. Virginia possums. I did not know that about know. possums. I mean, yeah. it's, it's one of the few mammals, like wild mammals you will even see right downtown in Philadelphia. I've seen them, you know, just in some of the most urban areas. And yeah, some mm. of them look pretty, pretty rough. Yeah. Up. Yeah. I know they don't. They, possum never looks like, yeah. they, they all kind of look like, you know, it's they're they're on, you know, just gotten off uh, the hobo train or something with your leg is sort of like, you know, with, Hey, you know, it's like, yeah, they look like they should like know. be smoking a cigarette and have like a, a, a jacket full of watches they're trying to sell or something. Yeah. yeah. Or, or be the guitarist on the Rolling Stones or something like that. They just look like, you know, they've seen better days. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny every now and then here, like they'll, they'll show up. Someone will like, just the, the stones. No, yeah. no, like every now and then I'll get like a photo from somebody's front porch in downtown Philly, someplace of a possum just like curled up on their porch or their step, like nursing young. And you're just like, wow, look at that. You know, it's like. It, speaking of which, like I, you know, with, with the internet, you, you start seeing things that are, well, bird the bird internet. Let's let's like restrict it to 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 what we deal with. But sure. there are weird things in the internet and imagery that that I found odd that shows up in the bird related internet, and it's sleeping birds in porches. Have you noticed this? Like, there's a whole like, what is this thing? Like, and it's usually some random person who's just got this bird sleeping in the porch. So they take a photo, then they go to what bird is this or like mm-hmm. identify this bird. And then they post it. It's like a roosting and bird. That's it's just, a roosting bird. It's like a ball. It's just like a ball of feathers uh-huh. with like a tail sticking out, you know, that classic like sleeping, yeah, yeah. you know, and they're almost always Carolina wrens. <laughs> and, and, and I, I was, I was amazed at how, like how many people have Carolina wrens, randomly sleeping on their porches like that's a thing they do i would never have known that like other than and the weirdness of the internet so that seems uh, like yeah seems like people could have fun with that carolina wrens are amazing they're so cool yeah no but with with these longevity records you know i um there's some other aspects that seem to be worldwide tropical birds tend to live they say longer on average per size than temperate birds. Hmm. Um, Seabirds tend to be the longest lived of birds. Uh, They also have, obviously, some of these seabirds have real low reproductive rates. They're kind of like the, you know, an ashy storm petrel you're talking about. It it doesn't reproduce much more quickly than a condor does. It might be like every two or three years or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, depending on the situation, one egg, 
Yeah. MERS make one. You know, and then you think of wrens, like wrens. Right. They churn them out as fast as they can. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, they they get a whole bunch of them, you you know, popping out. You get house wrens, males, it'll, what, build like eight or ten nests a year. Of course, they don't use them all, but they just like, you know, go crazy. Yeah. But I do wonder, like, what, like, if you you got that side up, like, what is the oldest, so um, hummingbird, like a, ruby-throated or rufous hummingbird. I bet we're going to be surprised at how old some of those little birds live, even. Yeah. So, yeah, hummingbirds, let's see, there's Magnificent Hummingbird has lived to be 11 years old. Oh, wow. Uh, there's there's a, a bunch of ruby throats in the nine years, which is way, yeah, that's definitely older than I might have guessed. Um, yeah. Black-chinned that have lived to be 11 years old, 12-year-old broad tail. Um, wow. Buff bellied eleven year old, and then I and then yeah, all of a sudden I'm at Puerto Rican toady lived to be twelve years old, and of course sure. these are minimums, right? Because we we know when they were banded, and then some of these birds might have lived for a couple of years even beyond. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, here's an, here's an acorn woodpecker lived to be seventeen years, California. Wow, bunch of cool ones. It's uh it, yeah it's, it's it's interesting to think about like age uh, longevity how how all this happens is actually under the kind of shaping um power of natural selection so th- the reason why a opossum doesn't live very long is there's a reason for it there's sort of selection going on to make that creature a short-lived one versus bats bats are very long-lived for their size. And similarly, I bet, I bet there's some weirdo, there's going to be some weirdo little bird somewhere that somebody's going to realize it's like lives a heck of a long time for its, for its um, size. And there'll be some biology behind why that is. Right. And it'll probably be some tropical bird or something that's non-migratory and keeps a small territory or something. Yeah. Maybe eats fruit, you know, those, you know, Blueberries are supposed to be very good for you. Yeah. All those, you know, antioxidants. That's right. High antioxidants. Yeah. That's key, man. Yeah. I mean, you you, you can only dance like a mannequin if you have like really good food. (laughs) You know, this is little moon, moon walking mannequins. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have a lot of metal stones around. Yeah. Man, you, you can't, you can't do that on sugar like a hummingbird, you know, like. Hummingbirds look cool, but you know they they don't, they can't dance like mannequins. Yeah, like, let's face it. No, that's <laughs> tall order, tall order right there. Yeah. Well, listen, man, we are coming up on the time. I think uh, done already. Yeah, do you believe it? I was just starting. I know. Jeez. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, hopefully, everyone's still listening and, and enjoying. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but maybe. It is fun talking. People people listen to this thing? (laughs) I know. Crazies. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening and for your feedback. And, uh, yeah, we we really are enjoying this and enjoying connecting with you and uh, looking forward to doing it again soon. And, yeah, any uh, any final thoughts, Alvaro? Um, Yeah, connection. Uh, Send us questions, thoughts, uh, topics, because, you know, it – it uh, right, you know, right now it would be lovely to have people sort of incorporate some of their ideas and some of that that and feel more connected to the listeners that are out there, 
And yeah, I'm enjoying this a lot, uh, George. It's, uh, um, you know, just riffing on these bird topics. It's fun. And eventually we'll also be wanting to talk to other people, in- interview people here and there, you know, and uh, some ideas on who that might be would be also yes. great. Yeah. Send us anything. Yeah. And we've gotten some nice, some nice, been connecting with folks and we're looking forward to doing some cross-pollination pods with friends as well uh, who are on the the potosphere as, as nobody says, but me, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Cool, man. Well, thanks Al. Have a good day, everybody. Thanks again. We'll be in touch soon. All right. Bye-bye.